Are you glad to be here today? And let's give God some praise. Amen. To those who are uh, visiting, welcome. Welcome to the world's greatest church. You're looking for another church? Don't look any further. You found it. Amen. Amen. Our lesson today comes from the gospel according to Luke. The gospel according to Luke chapter 4. We've been walking uh, all past semester and coming into this new semester through the book of Luke. And I love exegetical biblical teaching because you get to understand who the author of the book was, what was the intention and the flow of the chapter. And I pray that you've been following along with this series. I've been really enjoying getting a good look at Jesus. Well, today in chapter 4, verse 38 through 41, the title of our message is going to be, When Jesus Was in the House. Oh, yeah. Doesn't that just sound good? When Jesus was in the house. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, thank you so much for the word of God that gives us life, that gives us hope, that gives us instruction and guidance, clarity, that that chips off the rough edges and, and smooths us and gives us what we need as we journey in a dark, dying, and foul fallen world. Would you breathe on us today? Would you give our our pastor preaching power? Would you open the word of God? Open our eyes and our ears that we may hear what your spirit has to say to the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Gospel of Luke chapter 4. You can read on with me on the screen or boot up your your own device uh, for your own uh, reading. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered the house, or rather, and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose, and she served them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had uh, any that were sick with various diseases, they brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out, saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, Jesus, Rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. This is the word of the Lord. It had been an amazing morning, family, for the disciples. They had witnessed the strength of the kingdom of God and the master's command over the underworld. If you remember last week, Jesus was in the synagogue when he cast out a demon that disrupted the teaching that was happening inside of the church. And that morning, the power of Christ and the doctrine of the kingdom of God was on display, and everybody knew that Jesus had come to redeem mankind. Well, 
Church is over now. And Jesus is on his way to Simon Peter's house for the afternoon synagogue meal. And here we begin to discover that Jesus would enter the homes of his disciples. He would meet their families. He would engage in family matters. He would take upon him their family problems and their family concerns. You see, this text today reveals to me what I call is the heart of God. And what happens when Jesus enters the house of his disciples? There are two things we can learn about this passage today. Number one, we can learn that when Jesus is in the house, his presence is in the house. Number two, when Jesus is in the house, his power is in the house. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Amen? Now, I promised you on last week, if you let me borrow a few minutes from this week, I'll give them back today. So set your swatches now, all right? The Bible says in verse 38, now he arose from the synagogue and he entered Simon's house. But, look at that, Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever. And they made a request of Jesus concerning her. Now notice this family. One of the greatest pictures of the New Testament is shown right here in this one verse. And it's the picture of the sovereign God of heaven and earth fellowshipping in the dwelling place of man. It's the picture of the creator of all creation coming down to earth and involving himself in divine relationship with his creation. Remember, Elder Cho said it earlier, Jesus is the word of God that became flesh. Here you have the picture of God himself entering into the home of Simon Peter. Beloved, and whenever you see Jesus in the scriptures entering into the home of humanity, you are seeing what I call is the love and the compassion of God at work. There is something sweet and divine about this picture. Imagine the divine and holy one stooping down to come and be inside of the home of somebody with issues, problems, brokenness, sin. God is involved and engaged with humanity. Okay, here it is. It's a picture of the triune God of heaven entering into somebody's house. It's the picture of the one who has the answer for humanity's problems being present and being willing to get involved in their homes. That's a beautiful picture. And I just believe that the same God right now is present in this room. I'm hunting for a witness right there. The same God who enters Peter's house is is ready to enter in a Washington school to be with you and I. Why, he's the same God. The Bible says he changes not. Right now, imagine in that empty seat next to you, the living God of the universe is present 
to handle all of your issues, to handle all of your fears, all of your worries, all of your concerns, all of your setbacks and your backsets. He is present to be here with you because he loves you and he cares. Isn't that good news? Secondly, we see in this passage that because Jesus is in the house, grace is in the house. You know what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. It's when God gives you something that you sure enough don't deserve. (laughs) I just dropped something right there. Can I pick it up and say it again? It's when God gives you something that you don't deserve. In my other sets of notes, Dr. Cho, I had it in there. Peter didn't deserve to have Jesus in his house. Come on now, you know Peter. But he was with him anyway. Okay, so if you can't say amen to Peter, say amen to Angelus. Angelus doesn't deserve to have God in his home, but he shows up anyway. Now put your name in there. When God shows up and is involved in any area of your life, it's more than you deserve. What a beautiful picture. The Bible says he shows up in Peter's home. He's there to minister to Peter. And Sister Sharon, the Bible says that Simon's wife, her mom, was sick with a high fever. And they made a request. Concerning Jesus. Now, when we read this second portion of the scripture, what the Bible is teaching us is that Simon's mother in love was in serious danger. And here's what I noticed about her in her position, she needed a place and a people to care for her. Don't miss that. The Bible doesn't say what caused the fever. Or how long she had the fever. Or why it was that she was there because of the fever. What the Bible is trying to teach us is that in spite of her physical condition and the position she was in, she needed a savior. She needed somebody who could come in and look on her situation and deal with it and take care of her. Thirdly, I see in that passage that somebody in that house had faith enough to believe, yes, that Jesus, now that he was in the house, could make a difference because his presence was in the house. Here's what I learned, beloved. Whenever Jesus is in the house, there's always a special grace in the house to fix things that are broken. Can I get an amen right there? When Jesus shows up in the midst of the crisis, that's what I call spectacular. Why? Because when he shows up, the supernatural becomes the norm. And I don't know about you, but I need a savior, beloved. A savior in my house to show up when things don't look too good. Every church needs a savior to show up when things don't look too good. Are y'all listening, RCC? We need for Jesus to show up in the crisis. Why? To comfort, to cure, to console, to be the Christ of the crisis. And I'm so glad this morning that Jesus is in the house. 
But can I tell you that every now and then you need to remind yourself he's here? We sang about him this morning. We read scripture about him this morning. We prayed to him this morning, but somehow we can still sit there as if what we sang, what we said, and what we believe ain't true. But I need you to shake yourself this morning and remind yourself, say, self, no, God is true. And he's in the house. That's beautiful, isn't it? I need for Jesus to show up. I need him to show up in my home. I need him, yes, to give me grace to recover when things have gone bad. I need him to give me grace to endure when it looks like I can't make it. I need him to give me the grace of hope that lets me be reminded that everything is going to be all right. I got a story right here I'll show you. You know, my mom and my dad have gone both to be with the Lord. I'm an orphan on this side of my earthly journey now. And I remember as Sharon and and I were covering or taking care of my mom when the Lord came for her. See, I have been praying, asking God for the grace to heal. You know what he says to me over time? I'm not going to give you, Angelus, what you want because I got a different grace for Maddie than what you're asking for. I was asking for grace to stay here in a broken body. He was wanting to give her a grace for eternity. He was wanting to give her a grace for salvation, to give her a new body, a new life, a new hope in him. And I was praying for the wrong kind of grace. Can you get me here? See, every now and then, the stuff you ask for, God says no to. Why? Because he's got a better grace. He always has something better for you when his answer is no for you on this side. My uh, uh, understanding now that I'm maturing him is can I say amen to the grace he has for me instead of what I think I need? God's got a grace for salvation. He's got a grace for patience. He's got a grace for wisdom. He's got a grace, yeah, for deliverance. He's got a grace to cover you for whatever it is you're going through. Lastly, I see in that one verse is that they told Jesus about her. The passage says that. Look at that. They made a request of him concerning her. This is beautiful. Because his presence was in the house, they came to Jesus to tell him about what mother needed. Isn't this beautiful? Because mother never says a word. But somebody else in the house can go to her and intercede on her behalf. Can I put a plug in there for Wednesday night prayer? Sometime, guess what? You have to be the one to tell Jesus on behalf of the one who can't communicate. What a beautiful picture. God needs some family members in the house of RCC to tell him on the one or for the one who can't communicate with him. What's your prayer life like? What are you talking to Jesus about this day? Is it all about you or is it about the one who can't communicate on his behalf or their behalf? Well, the same Jesus that was available to hear from her, to hear from that family is available to hear from you. When Jesus is in the house, his presence is in the house. Let's look now at what happens when Jesus' power is in the house. The Bible says in verse 39, 
So he stood over her. And he rebuked the fever. And it left her. And, oh, I like that, that word. It immediately, or immediately, she arose and she served them. Let me unpack this. When you come to this portion of the text, we discover here, brothers and sisters, several important things regarding the power of Jesus when he's in the house. Look, Jesus comes, first of all, and he stands, the Bible says, over the fever. He says in a positional way that he's above the problem that has her down. Secondly, in the voice of power, he rebukes the fever and commands it to behave. Did y'all catch that? Uh, Brother Josh, good to see you. He stood above the problem. Why? Because Jesus has got to be above your problem or you put your problem on the same level with Jesus. There's no problem in the universe, honey, on the same level with Jesus. That's bad theology. Good Christology will let you always remember Jesus is above whatever it is that's got you down. Can I get an amen right there? Oh, something just happened. I feel like preaching right through there. When I look at this text thirdly, he stands over the problem in her life because he has the power over every problem in her life. And he can command them to do whatever he wants them to do. This is powerful because it reminds me that, not, uh, that only the power that's in Jesus, yes, there it is, could have changed this woman's situation. What do you mean, Wilson? She needed a supernatural assistance to rise above the thing that laid her out. She needed supernatural assistance to rise above the stronghold. Ah, Elder Han that kept her down. She needed power, the power of God's grace to intervene and deliver her. And only the touch of Jesus could fix this problem. I'm one of those Jesus-only guys in this world. It's not Jesus and science. I believe in science. It works. But I know the God of science. Jesus is still the answer for all the world today. Call me crazy. Call me old. Call me bald-headed. Call me old school, old-fashioned. That's okay. I'll die with all those tags because I believe this Bible is true. And I believe that Jesus still has the same power. Is there anybody in the house today that say, I believe in the same Jesus? Come on, talk to me. Is there anybody else in the house today that would dispute that Jesus has all power of heaven and earth in his hand? You got to believe that in a fallen world. Anything else that competes with that becomes God. Somebody looking at me today. You have a need of Jesus to do something great in your life today. And honey, let me tell you, he's able. Somebody looking at me today. You've got a problem you can't shake, you can't get rid of. And you need to know today that Jesus has you. 
that he can fix it. He will fix it and he can be counted on to fix it. Or else your gospel ain't good no more. You might as well close your Bible, go home and put it on the shelf. If you don't believe that the power that's in the Christos Victor is still the same power it was 2,000 years ago, you got the wrong Jesus. Quit, go home and die a miserable death. Or hold on to the hope that's in the risen one. Believe it, own it, trust it, because he's the only one that makes life worth living. Somebody needs Jesus. To help you in your daily dilemmas, your daily difficulties, your daily dangers, your daily distresses. And he's able. Why? Because Jesus is in the house. And when he's in the house, there's power in the house. The Bible says something interesting. I'm giving you back your minutes from last week right now. The Bible says, after he healed her, she got up, mama did, and she served them. Don't read that too fast. Why? Because there's a picture there of how you respond when God shows up and does something supernatural hey, in your life. You ought to get up hey, and serve them out of gratitude, out, out, out of graciousness, out of thankfulness. See, that, that's the real picture of the heart of the Christian. They have an activity that follows what God has done for them. She got up and she served the Sabbath meal. Her mothers, I, I know you know, so I don't know what happened. When she got up, she might have said, girl, you ain't got this meal ready yet. You know it's the Sabbath. This is what we do after church. We eat, right? Come on, talk to me. She got up, mother did, and she started fixing that Jewish Sabbath meal to minister to the Savior, hey, that raised her up and broke the fever in his life. Oh, this ain't in my notes, but can I ask this question? What has God broken in your life? What has he broken that held you down? What has he changed your life that gave you another chance, a new beginning, a fresh start? And what have you done since he gave you the option to live for him? There ought to be a meal in you somewhere. There ought to be an act of gratefulness, an attitude of graciousness and praise because of what God has done. Can I tell you, when he broke the fever of sin and rebellion in my life, I had to get up and serve him. I began to run all around the world to tell everybody about the God who raised me up, who gave me another chance, who saved me from sin and hell. I begin to tell everybody I can and I'll talk about him until I have no more words because I'm not grateful for what God has done for me. I'm closing now, but the Bible didn't stop right there. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says that when the sun was setting, all those who had any sick people with various diseases, they brought them to Jesus and Peter's house and laid his hand, he laid his hands on every one of them. 
and he healed them. And demons came out of people. They were crying and saying, you are the Christ, the son of God. And just like he did in the sanctuary earlier that morning, he rebuked them, didn't allow them to speak, for they knew he was the Christ. I'm through preaching. I got a lot more notes. but I'm keeping my word today. Here's what he said. Or here's what happened. That power that was in Peter's house, it got out. And when it got out, the whole village got the word. The same one that was preaching in the synagogue has now healed Peter's mama. Quick, go get your cousins. Go get your friends. Go get your neighbors and bring them to the house. There's power in the house. That was good. But then I noticed some small thing in here. The Bible says it was when the sun was setting that all those came out. Can I tell you why they waited to the end of the day? They had a strict tradition called Sabbath day laws. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, their religious teachers, had this weird and strange tradition that made them think that if you did anything to help anybody on the Sabbath day, you were wrong. And that was considered work. And so you could not help a stranger or help someone who had a problem on the Sabbath day under this religious teaching. And here's what I discovered. They were willing to wait until the sun went down so they wouldn't break tradition in order to help their loved one. When Jesus was working the whole time on the Sabbath, he was not under their traditions or their laws. He was doing exactly what the Father had called him to do. And here's what I learned, and I'm landing the plane. Traditions will stop people from coming to Jesus. Your traditions will keep people from coming to God when they are broken, when they are hurting, when they have a fever, when they need a savior. They would rather wait until they think it's cool with your tradition. To get set free from God. Traditions are dangerous. And every culture has them. Every tribe has them. Because we have our own little ways of trying to make you think this is how you get to God. By doing these things. Baby, it ain't never been about what you do. It's all about what he did. Oh, isn't that good news? I'm so glad Jesus didn't wait on the sun to set to heal Peter's mother-in-law. I'm so glad he didn't wait, but I'm also glad he didn't turn them away when they finally came. Isn't that good news? He's that kind of healer. I'm through today. But I don't want the man in prison to think because he's been to prison, God can't use him. I don't want the woman to think because she's a prostitute, God can't save her. I don't want the businessman to think because he's made his millions illegally, God can't save him. God is for everybody. He's come to save everybody, no matter what your sin may be. And you may be here today, and your sin is none of those things. I've been good all my life. Well, you might have, but you're still a sinner. Can I tell you why? You've been born the wrong way. Everybody who's ever been born has been born on the wrong side of God. You've been born a sinner in rebellion against a holy God, and therefore you need a Savior. And Jesus has come to save you.
So glad he was a miracle worker. He did all those miracles on that day and didn't stop. Nope. The Bible said he continued for three years doing miracles. And can I tell you the greatest miracle he did was that one that happened that Friday morning outside the city of Jerusalem. The miracle when he allowed them to take him and nail him to the cross. And out on the cross, miraculously, supernaturally, the Lamb of God took the sting out of death and victory over the grave, your place and my place out on the cross. He died for future generations that were going to come. He did the greatest miracle ever known to mankind, took your place out on the cross so that you might be reconciled back into a right relationship with the Father. He died for every sin. Somebody say every sin. He paid it all at Calvary's cross. And not only that, but he went into the grave. The grave used to be the place that held humanity. So that when you died, you had to stay there until your punishment. Jesus descended into that place, took your sin, took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, fastened them in his girdle, and the old preacher used to say he rose early Sunday morning from the dead with all power of heaven and earth in his hand, taking the sting out of death and victory over the grave. Now, that's a miracle. Because when I die now, Dr. Cho, let me give you an example. I'm going to step in the grave. I'm going to take off my old grave suit. And I'm going to exchange it for a brand new body. And when I get my new body, my afro is coming back. <laughs> when I get my new body, my waist is going to slim. <laughs> my old man's luggage is going away. When y'all get to heaven, you're going to see a new Angelus. You're going to be like, is that my pastor? I'm going to be like, I told you. <laughs> He's that kind of God. That's the miracle of life in Christ. New life. On the other side. So I want to serve him now because I'm like Peter's mama and great folks for what he's doing. And all God's people said, Amen. stop your watches now. <laughs> Bow with me for a word of prayer. Oh, Father, how grateful we are that your presence is in the house. How grateful we are that your power is in the house. We are grateful today because you have people in the house who pray for us that you might heal them and touch them. We're grateful also in the house that others outside of this house will hear of what you've done in this house and will begin to bring people unto you because you're the Savior of all the world. My prayer today is for the one who is here who may not know you who does not have a personal, intimate relationship with you. My prayer, Father, is that they would accept you into their heart today as their Lord and their Savior, and that you would begin to heal them and to heal others in the house who may have problems, things that they are discouraged with. In Jesus' name. If you're here today while your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a personal, intimate relationship with him, I'd like to invite you to know him and invite him in your heart by simply praying this prayer. You can repeat it after me, beloved. Say, dear God, I'm a sinner. 
and I need my sin forgiven. Jesus, come into my heart and save me. I believe you're the Son of God, and I believe you died for me. Save me from my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, for those who are here with heavy hearts, discouraged minds, would you lift them to see you like they've never seen you before? Will we exchange our fears and our doubts for a high view of God in the earth? The God who oversees our problems, not as overwhelmed or underneath our problems. Jesus, today we choose to elevate your name in the midst of our despair to keep our hope alive in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Elder Chuck.